from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. Intervening is difficult. If no one teaches you steps, it's it's an awkward conversation. You're not sure if that person will be physically violent towards you. What are these owners telling you and, and about the changes that this kind of training makes? Owners that care and want to do better yell, help, <laughs> help me. I don't have the staff. I can't pay the staff. We're talking about restaurant owners in a pandemic. I'm Danny Wisentowski. In the summer of 2020, a series of allegations describing numerous cases of sexual assault and harassment rocked St. Louis's Grove neighborhood. The allegations exploded into public view as women broke their silence speaking out first in social media posts and then to local media, which amplified their message, this has to stop. But actually stopping sexual assault is no simple thing, and knowing what to do in the moment isn't always obvious to a bartender or waitstaff as they're doing their jobs on a busy weekend. Helping those workers identify and act on their observations is part of the mission of the group St. Louis Against Sexual Assault. And to talk about that effort, we welcome to the studio Sam Hunterlock, the founder of St. Louis Against Sexual Assault. Sam, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Sam, as I mentioned, your group grew out of this grassroots explosion of, of, of anger and, and truth-telling that followed this moment two summers ago when numerous women began talking about what they'd experienced in these restaurants, bars, and tattoo parlors in the Grove. Tell us about that moment and, and how it set up the group that you're now uh, working with. Sure. Um, so I have about 20 years experience in the restaurant and service industry myself. So when these allegations came out, it was, you know, the height of the beginning of the pandemic. And there was this power shift between employees and maybe owners or management because it was for the first time up to the employees to say, I'm comfortable coming back. You know, it was really the the favor was that of the employee, which I don't think I think that's a very rare opportunity that the service industry had. Um, and with that, people started thinking about other things. Um, sexual allegations came out of sexual abuse of these really dominant players in the neighborhoods. Um, and as an industry professional for so long, so many years witnessing I mean, sexual assault and harassment runs rampant throughout this industry, whether it's the patron on patron or staff on staff. Um, So I felt obviously very enraged (laughs) and I totally understood I am a survivor of sexual violence myself. Um, So I just felt like we, we had to do something. We had to create a conversation or talk about this. And, and I'd also like to invite our listeners into this conversation as well. If you've ever intervened to stop a sexual assault at a bar or a venue, or if you have ideas for steps that these businesses should be taking, please give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Or send us a tweet at STL on air, Or you can give us an email at stlpr.org. Sam, you were, you were telling us about you know these incidents back two years ago in 2020, and, and something that's 
stood out, I think, to myself and everyone who was watching this, is this wasn't just a case of, you know, uh, naming a specific perpetrator, someone who I think had, you know, 10 different uh, women discussing this very similar um, experiences of, of waking up or, you know, having a drink and being much too drunk uh, for that, that amount of alcohol. But it was also about the businesses that felt like they weren't safe or that they weren't stepping up. Tell, tell us a bit about these two sides, you know, identifying a perpetrator who's, who's doing something, but also a space that just isn't taking action and isn't safe. Sure, yeah. We've all heard of um, the the dark man in the alley that comes out and grabs you, and that's how sexual abuse and violence happens, and that is just completely false. Um, the statistics show that it's almost always someone that you know. So um, patron-on-patron-wise, alcohol is the number one tool of abusers. Um, they use it to commit their acts of violence. So, of course, we're seeing this in places where alcohol is served frequently. Um, so whether that be a person that's serving the alcohol or the patrons themselves, it's just it's just bringing about places that are unsafe. No one feels safe to go out drinking and no one feels safe intervening when they are giving people alcohol. Mm-hmm. Now, in some of the trainings, um, you know, and, and I should say your group offers trainings to you know, bars and venues um, to give employees some, some more tools or things to think about. And I'd love you know, for you to tell us a bit about some of those uh, tactics. And, and the one that stands out to me when I was reading over it is that, you know, you're talking, you know, you, this training is directed at, at an employee, you know, who's working at one of these places. And you see something, you see, you know, someone using alcohol, you know, as, as isolation um, or preying on someone. And one of the the suggestions isn't you have to go stop this yourself immediately, but it's can you bring other people with you? Can you involve your other coworkers or other people? Tell, tell us about that and, and kind of the strategy that is happening in that moment. Sure. I think um, sexual violence happening in, in private is one thing, but I think all of us who have gone out to have a drink have witnessed sexual harassment. And all of us, I could say, almost certainly that have worked in bars and restaurants have also witnessed it. But intervening is difficult. If no one teaches you steps, it's it's an awkward conversation. You're not sure if that person will be physically violent towards you or verbally violent towards you. Um, so giving people steps really, really um, helps with their level of confidence so that they can go in, um, they know what to say, they can bring someone with them, and they can either diffuse the situation or redirect it or remove that person from the establishment. So mm-hmm. it's just about giving them confidence. And there is, it sounds like it is important to have these employees or staff to, to do something direct um, in some interaction. And, and I asked because we had a tweet from Kim who writes, I once offered disposable non-branded coasters that could easily tell if a drink had been drugged to a ton of bars in Soulard, not a single taker. Now, that, that sounds like a great idea, but it is something that, you know, we'll just have it out and it will passively, it'll work on its own. But the training that you offer says the people have to be involved in this. You have to keep your eyes open and there has to be some kind of action that the person in the middle of this, you know, potentially being targeted, it's mm-hmm. not on them. Well, so the problem is there that I would say is most of these restaurants and bars are privately owned. Mm -hmm. They do not have and cannot afford an HR department, let alone a sexual code of conduct. So it's very, very difficult for them in their day-to-day to to keep people safe. So you dropping off coasters is a great intention, but who is there to implement it? Mm -hmm. So part of the training is to say you need to have something to implement. (laughs) So what is is the reaction from uh, the bars and venues to the kind of 
training that you offer? How many you know uh, places have been involved in this, and, and where is that going? So, so far, I think we've done about a handful, but we have partnered with Safe Bart Network, which is a national organization. Um, and so they have done it across the country. It's brand new in St. Louis, and our members are just now trained. So we're hoping to do a lot more. But so far, the, so far, the handful of bars that we have done, we've had really, really positive experiences. Um, they've come away more confident in handling situations. And the thing that we do um, with bars and restaurants is every establishment is unique and we understand that. So the training is um, we facilitate, we act as facilitators, and the employees and the staff themselves create their what what they are going to do, their, their action plan. Mm-hmm. And now some of the the trainings that I've I've read over, a lot of it involves identifying behaviors that are, you know, isolating a victim. But a lot of them really are about how alcohol can be used or how alcohol in a bar setting that everyone is kind of used to. But if you if you take notice, if you if you look at the way someone is being offered too much to drink or if they're in a situation they're uncomfortable, what are you telling bartenders who are serving all these folks drinks, who are trying to, you know, keep all that straight, but what is it about alcohol that that these employees should be looking at? Well, if you're in the industry, um, you know, a lot of us are required to take um, spotlight stoplight training. Mm-hmm. So it's recognizing when someone has had too much drink and wanting and knowing when to cut them off. So I would suggest that this training is very, very similar. Um, seeing ways that people are making others uncomfortable and knowing the steps to take to when, oh, this is just an awkward conversation versus this is sexual harassment and this is sexual assault. So we do offer the training um, in the same way as someone starts to get intoxicated. They get a little bit louder. They start interrupting. They start becoming, you know, making a scene and then it's time to cut them off. It's the same progression towards the act of harassment or assault, I would say. We're talking with Sam Hunterlock, the founder of St. Louis Against Sexual Assault, which is a survivor-led organization training service industry workers to prevent assault in bars in restaurants. Sam, we we started this conversation talking about what had happened here in St. Louis in the Grove in in 2020, where there was numerous cases of, of harassment and assault. What do things feel like now two years later? There's been so much discussion on this. There's a mural up on the Grove that says, consent is my love language that your group was involved in. There was there was a strong reaction. Have things actually changed, though? Sadly, no. Um, It got a good amount of attention. But these people and predators and abusers are still obviously there. And I I, it is sad that there hasn't been so too many steps taken to prevent this in the future. So. You, you raised a really interesting point as well, you know, that this this moment occurring around the pandemic and when a lot of folks who are working in these industries, you know, their businesses closed down for a while and they had a moment of, should I go back to this mm-hmm. or what am I going back to? And in some ways, a lot of folks have not gone back. But for those who have, this seems to be such a difficult thing. There are people who maybe had been targets of this harassment and were not supported by their businesses and, and owners. And you're asking them, go back into this and do more. Is that fair? No. Um, The restaurant industry itself is this topic specifically is every person that I know as a female, any gendered has experienced harassment in the industry. And 
um, today, as of today, it is normal behavior. And that is a huge topic that we would like to change is the culture of restaurants. And you should be able to go to work and be a paid employee and feel safe in your environment. And that's one of the things that we're trying to change is just the culture and the mindset of what is acceptable and what is not acceptable in the industry. Tell, tell us a bit more about you know, that change in the culture. Are, are there any um, you know, particular restaurants, and you can name them or not, however you'd like, but, but places that have gone through these steps and have changed that culture in, in a real way that you've seen? What, what does that look like? Oh, what it looks like is, let's see, there are at least three of our board members work at the Royale in St. Louis. Mm -hmm. Um, Some places in the Grome, like the Gramophone went through the training and Handlebar. um, And then, you know, a couple other places have done it. And I think what that tells their employees is you can trust us to take action against this. You can work here and feel safe. Um, We do not accept harassment. Um, And there to all the consumers out there, you know, you can also be a conscious consumer and you can go to places that have implemented these things and it allows the consumer or the patron to also feel safe. So mm-hmm. one of the other things that stood out to me, you know, seeing a, a possible, you know, violent act, I think a lot of folks think, well, just call the police, like hmm. just just call them there. And that's that's not you know, part of the curriculum or training that I've seen, but I, I think it makes sense. Um, you know, in that moment, you know, someone might be a couple drinks away. But but tell us, you know, the involvement of the police, the, of the authorities, it's not really part of the curriculum that you've suggested. What, why is that? I would say the authorities would come in uh, getting someone arrested or pressing charges for sexual assaults or harassment or rape is extremely difficult And the account has to be recorded, written down, seen by a witness. There's 17 steps. So that should not be on an employee of a a restaurant. Um, What should be on that employee is saying, can I disrupt this or just defuse this? So we don't ask the employees to make a statement. You know, we don't ask them to involve the police because we want to get to it before it becomes that type of problem. If you diffuse the situation or you redirect a conversation, then you're getting it before that that action would be necessary. Mm-hmm. Is that is that in part you know this the you know lack of engaging the police in this kind of scenario? Um, these incidents that occurred in 2020, from the best of my sense, did not lead to any kind of criminal charges. And in fact, some of the businesses who were named in these reports sued the people who were making these accusations, who said, we don't feel safe in this place. And now they're the ones who are bearing uh, some of the legal consequences and, and brunt of this situation. Um, is it is it hard to ask people to open up more and to pe- potentially make themselves vulnerable Um you know, you know, coming out of that kind of incident two years later. Yes. Um, sexual violence is, in my opinion, the most difficult to get people to speak about. Um, it involves shame and all other things. They're re-traumatizing themselves to discuss it. And then some of those cases, they have to still work with these people. These people have children or they have reasons why they have to stay in employment in this job. Um, and coming out about it can be very difficult. They can be not believed. And then the worst thing would nothing would happen. And so with the cases that I've seen in one particular brewery, over 10 women came out about one individual and they fired that person. But what happened to that company? Did they change their culture? Did other things change? So 
we're seeing a lot of immediate actions and some not so much like that not always but i would like to see like i said earlier like a culture change within the industry saying that this is not acceptable behavior and we need to take steps to make this a long-lasting situation is this is this an example of people protecting each other in 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 these in these spaces is it you know has it gotten to that point where you know it's just the people in these bars you've got to do it yourself and Oh, in my, yes. <laughs> it is so sad to say that it that is definitely the case. And a lot of these people that own um, property, like that's a privilege. They also have dominant voices in some of the neighborhoods. So it's really your word against theirs in any, you know, any sexual harassment or assault allegation. Um, and that can come down to power pretty much. Who has the power or the upper hand in that situation? Servers, bartenders act or act, they owners act as if they are disposable so just get rid of that person that's that's causing the problem hire a new person i mean that tends mm-hmm. to be the solution there and and you mentioned that you have had you know done a number of these trainings at various local you know st louis bars what do these owners tell you because they're also i think going through this process of of perhaps you know being aware that there is a problem but the extent of it how much it affects the people they care about what are these owners telling you and and about the changes that this kind of training makes owners that care and want to do better yell help <laughs> help me i don't have the staff i can't pay the staff we're talking about restaurant owners in a pandemic they're struggling to just hire enough back of the house cooks you know let alone make a sexual harassment policy. So what we aim to do at St. Louis Against Sexual Assault is create a place that makes that easier for them. So we have templates that you can just print off, create your own sexual harassment policy. um, And we're trying again with the training to make it just really accessible for them to change the way that they're handling the situation. Not too difficult, something that you can, you know, easily do. It's free to the public also. You know, Sam, in, in looking at this issue for the last year, there's been a lot written about structurally the way that the restaurant industry, the tip-based wages, puts a lot of these employees in positions where they have so – not just like almost opposite of leverage with their employers. They're they're so dependent on these jobs. They're not actually getting paid. And, you know, if, if they're not having a good customer, you know, feedback – even when they're completely in the right, this can be work terribly for these employees. Are there bigger changes that maybe have to happen in, in the way that restaurants work to give these employees a platform and a voice and the sort of resources that I think other employee employers mm-hmm. already give us? I'm so glad you asked this question because <laughs> the scope of our nonprofit reaches not only to obviously sexual violence and sexual harassment, but um, we're really interested interested in just giving the service industry professionals a voice and changing laws, um, union rights, anything like that to give these people some sort of voice in their employment. Um, I definitely, I personally am an advocate of no tip, no tips. Um, but I think that's a personal thing with employee, uh, employees in the service industry. But I do think that the pandemic, like I said, has shifted that power dynamic and we're asking for more things. And I think you'll see hopefully a change for the better, um, giving industry professionals a little bit more of a say-so um, in their employment. So we'll see. <laughs> you know, in, in another you know, two years in the future, you know, what what would a really actually an improved 
St. Louis restaurant and, and venue scene appear, one that has actually incorporated the lessons of this, 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 these terrible moments and these terrible experiences that people had to go through and groups like yours responding. What, what does that bar look like? Oh, that bar has very happy employees <laughs> feeling safe in their environment that know how to handle situations that make everyone uncomfortable. Um, you see patrons having a good time, feeling safe being there. Um, and that's what I would say. You know, every a lot of nonprofit work throws out, like, create a safe space. But what does that look like? <laughs> I think that looks like going into a space and feeling confident and being there alone and not feeling like something is going to happen to you. You should be able to consume as much alcohol as you want and not be physically assaulted. Um, <laughs> so I think that's what I would say. It's just very confident employees and then patrons feeling confident um, in their space. Sam Hunterlock is the founder of St. Louis Against Sexual Assault. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. This segment was produced by Maya Norfie and Elaine Cha. Our production intern is Avery Rogers. Audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorff. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Our podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at choosewood.com.